For December 28th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 78. Oh, the Muppets. They happened. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Oh, who, who gave rather the cocaine back? Gosh. We're doing you had a lot of that surfer voice building up there, right? They had to get out. Oh, oh God, it feels so good to finally, to finally, now I'm free of it. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we, we're going back. It's the last podcast of the year. Nay, the last podcast of the decade. And so we're going back to <laughs> stupid surfer voice that I used to do at the beginning <laughs> of the thing. And we're, we're, we're switching it up today. It's an all John Goslin all the time show. It's underthinking it. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the question of the week is name one thing that's awesome about cheese. <laughs> Why is cheese awesome? No, uh, yes, I guess we're going to do a decade wrap-up show. We are even, we have even less of a game plan than we normally do, and that is saying a lot because we, we very often. Why did you pull back from that? That was that was gold. <laughs> we could keep running with that. We we very, Gosh darn it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't discover the game. <laughs> right. Sorry. The imp- yeah. The improviser hates the fact that you changed gears in the middle of the scene. I'm sorry. I'll, I can't. Yeah. I'll, I'll no. Quiet. I'm sorry. I was. I was waiting for you to walk across the stage to like you know take over the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was bombing. But uh, rather, rather, I know one way that you can make it up for me. What's uh, that? Make it up to me right now. Can we just please have right now the number one best podcast of the decade? Can we can we make that happen? Is that is that possible? I know that there's a lot of people making lists out there, and I want to be on top of the list of podcasts for the decade. I don't know, Pete. I'm really scared. Do you think we can do it? Have I got it in me? I th- I think the power was in you all along, and really? I also don't li- I don't listen to any other podcasts, so I don't know whether we're any better. I don't listen to any of them, but I'm confident we're better. So. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. You've given me the strength to go on podcasting. <laughs> marvelous, marvelous. I can do it. Are you with me? Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna recap <laughs> we're gonna recap the decade. It's like uh, Johnny Carson's last show, right? I I saw it. My mom was a Carson fan, and so like the last couple Johnny Carson shows, we watched them, and uh, he like uh, he had the big flashy show as the penultimate. Uh, show and then he did just a quiet look back at uh, at you know his career on the air on the Tonight Show and that's what we're going to do a quiet look back at our career uh, on the internet. It's not a clip show, but it's uh, it's almost as it's almost as boring. It's almost as much film. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Speak so, for yourself. What happened to the cocaine? Rather, come on, man. <laughs> sorry, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, okay. you really burned out those batteries fast, uh, man. You can yeah. charge about twenty sorry, seconds. Okay. Of let's, let's, let's go again. Yeah. Five, four, three. <laughs> Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so Stop alone. Stop. I can't no. do it anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, best and worst thing of the decade. Question. Question of the week. Best and worst thing of the decade. Mr. Peter Fenzel, you gave me the strength to go on. You taught me that I have what it takes to save the blue people. You That's go right. first. Best thing of the decade's gotta be living outside of my parents' house. That was a real good thing <laughs> that happened in the decade. Um, the worst thing of the decade, uh, do you guys remember 2000? I think it was 2004. Maybe it was 2004. That time that it was, it was. Uh, I think it was Belinky's birthday and it rained, so we couldn't do uh, skydiving. Skydiving, and, yeah. We were. And, we and totally we had. You know what? This is because McNeil, who's sometimes a guest on the podcast, had a skydiving appointment for his birthday this year, and they got rained out. So it's like, yeah. I think God is trying to tell us something. Uh, we really <laughs> shouldn't be skydiving, because the each of the three times that we've tried to set it up, uh, we've gotten rained out. 
Yeah. Well, wasn't there one time at least where we ended up playing indoor paintball in Stamford, Connecticut? Yes. Uh, yes. And there was that time that we were playing that game and I got shot in the testicle with a paintball. Oh, no. That was oh, the worst thing of the decade. That's oh. what I'm going to stick with. Oh. Uh, I should have said testicle. I should have said ball. Or, but then it was paintball, so it would have been ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. Um, you got shot. I mean, what do you want the- me to say? Marley and me? Like, come on. <laughs> like, there's nothing that Owen Wilson or Luke Wilson has done that's been worse than being shot in the nuts with paintball. Like, that hurt a lot. Ugh. Man, I don't know. My top tens of the decade are going to be pretty niche, I think. <laughs> 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 stuff, stuff that happened to me uh, is, is the best stuff, and bad stuff that happened to me is the worst stuff. Yeah, Luke uh, top ten. really – he's really fallen uh, – or no, it was Owen, I guess, uh, who really has fallen from uh, the high point of Behind Enemy Lines in 2001. <laughs> No, that was Luke who was in Behind Enemy Lines, wasn't it? No, I'm looking at the IMDb entry right now, and it's uh, Owen. Yeah, and he's uh, he, Luke. Luke uh, was, you know, joshing him about it on the Video Music Awards or something like that, uh, right? Like, yeah, Owen, great work in Behind Enemy Lines. Way to run. <laughs> well, that was based on a uh, actual historical event of the decade, right? I guess oh no, so. it was a historical event of the previous. It decade. must have been, yeah, it must have been the previous decade because yeah. uh, it came out in two thousand one. So that would have been really fast turnaround for a. Uh... <laughs> Jordan, I don't know if you want to hear that list because you need more than ten. <laughs> All right, get out of the back channel, you guys. Okay. Lee, best and worst of the decade. All right, mine is actually uh, my best and worst are actually the same thing. No. Yes. You I, don't know if no. I don't know if there's some fancy word that we use to describe one thing that is also two things that are diametrically opposite. Paradox? Oxymore. Anyway, there it is. Chasmus. It, what was that? Chasmus. It's chasmus. Yeah, what, what that word you guys said. Uh, anyway, my best and worst thing of the decade is YouTube. Here's why. Here's why it's the best first. Okay. It's pretty simple. I mean... So the internet obviously it's, it's created... dramatic pub- hamster, isn't it? You really like dramatic <laughs> hamster. Cat videos. Lots yeah. of cat videos. No. So the internet obviously you know, invented that the la- latter part of the last decade um, was instrumental in turning a lot of people into content producers, mostly of the textual variety. YouTube obviously was uh, revolutionary in that it made people video producers in a, in, in a scale which has not been seen before. And video being sort of, you know, this sort of uh, medium which we hold up to a higher level of value than others because video seems more real, for lack of a better word. Um, so to make that all these people, um, this mass wave of population into content producers, video content producers, I think uh, we're going to look back and, and see that as being a real significant shift in our culture and the way that we express, produce, and consume content. Um, when we look back at that, I think it's going to be huge. Um, the Why YouTube is the worst thing is pretty simple. You look at the comment section and you start to lose all faith in humanity. You wonder, where did these come from? <laughs> Gay! <laughs> no, you... Uh, letter U, letter R. Ooh... <laughs> I dare you to downrank my comment. Ooh. Right? So you're saying it's a wonderful day for art and a horrible, horrible nightmare for art criticism. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that, that's actually quite profound. And, and faith faith in humanity as well. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean well, I, I guess you know you could probably extrapolate that out to the internet in general. Um but the virility and viciousness and nastiness. I don't think virility means virility is, what you think. Sorry, virility, virility is not right. <laughs> this word, this word uh, inconceivable. I do not think it means what you think it means. You mean virulence, right? But, yes, yeah. virulent. There you go. Thank virulence. you. Other... Although, honestly, there's a lot of testosterone floating around the YouTube message boards, I've got to say. It's true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is. It's it's it, you know you obviously you've seen flame flame wars as old you know go way back to the beginning of the internet itself. But to see it somehow displayed um, juxtaposed to what you what seems to be like the most innocuous content, um, it just any video. It can be the, the trailer for a perfectly innocuous movie and have it just 
you see how it all just disintegrates into uh, gay, no, U, letter U, letter R. It's pretty sad. Your mom. <laughs> but the, though it did, make, uh-uh. it did make a very good college humor video, right? The, did you see the We Didn't Start the Flame War video? No, no, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, it's a Google, uh, Google it. Uh, we didn't start the flame war. It's on, it's a video on college humor. Recommend, recommendation, bonus pick, pro tip for overthinkers. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't start the flame war. Uh, best and worst YouTube, Mark Lee, Jordan Stokes, best thing of the decade and worst. I'm going to say the best thing of the decade is, uh, is cheese. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you brought that up as a joke, but it got me thinking. And I, I have nothing that's been made within the last 10 years has given me as much joy within those 10 years as cheese. Well, now, hold on. Like, in what sense is cheese of the decade? I mean, I guess, I guess that the majority of the cheese you ate during the decade was manufactured during the decade. <laughs> Well, I mean, are we saying the best the best new thing of the decade, or just the thing that that's taking? No, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the best thing. I mean, hey, whatever. It's it's what. Yeah, how is cheese not of the decade, man? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point because in all these best things of the decade countdowns we're all seeing, people exclude things that uh, happened outside the decade, also, right? So, like, nobody's like the best thing that happened this decade was like driving a car. You know, like because they things happen that happened in other decades, and so they want it to be all novel. And I, I feel like we're slaves to fashion, really. Uh, and sometimes the best things are still the best things. You know, sometimes sometimes you want a classic single malt scotch, <laughs> uh, something like that. I don't know, or like and, a single malt polio string cheese. And as you know, the people on the podcast, unlike our viewers, have had the the pleasure of seeing me. You know that a slave to fashion, I am not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a slave to cheese, maybe. A slave to fashion, no. What are you talking about? You've had that goatee since before it was cool, man. <laughs> yeah, oh wait, yeah, that means be- that you are a slave to fashion since Never before. Uh, yeah, since before <laughs> the hipsters and their facial hair. Oh, you dirty, dirty yeah. hipsters. Okay, well, what interfered oh. with your cheese this decade, Jordan? What, uh, what yeah, was the worst, worst thing? Worst thing of the decade: hipsters and their facial hair, man. <laughs> <laughs> Lame wads. So in all seriousness, I mean, I guess we were supposed to say something about pop culture, but if, if Fenzel can bring up his nut trunk, I, I feel like the worst <laughs> thing of the decade is uh, the U.S. torturing enemy combatants. That really, really bothered me a lot. You know, I, I gotta. I hate to go political. We're not supposed to, right? But I gotta get it out there. Well, that was there's, there's no law. There's no law, except my law, which I enforce with a program of torture and human rights violations. Uh, (laughs) You know, I hereby declare Stokes an enemy combatant. So is it worse when they do it in real life or when Jack Bauer does it? Copy that! (laughs) Is it bad when Jack Bauer does it? It's also bad when Jack Bauer does it. No! There's a bomb. There's a bomb. It's about to go off, and he knows the secret code that's gonna defuse it. Now, if you want three million children to die in the in the million children orphanage, or are we gonna? Or you know, are or are we gonna you know suspend this guy on his fingernails over a vat of? You know, I don't know, butane torches. Uh, and- See, this is this is my problem with Twenty Four. Is they posit this false dichotomy that like either those children have to die or Jack Bauer needs to torture the dude, and they skip the obvious third solution, which is for Jack Bauer to personally adopt all million children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obvi- I mean, I, obviously, I, I yeah, that's the excluded. Yeah. That you know, postmodernism talks a lot about the excluded middle. You know, and that's, that's the excluded middle in that yeah. dichotomy. It, there. That's the arithmetic mean of those two poles, right? right exactly. Is adopt yeah. a million children. Is, you know, who is your who is your, who is your favorite like cop between or between death oh, and torture <laughs> lies adoption. Oh. <laughs> wow! Uh, look, I wasn't the guy who said it. It was. <laughs> For once, can I not be the reprehensible, you know, guy in the room, <laughs> please? 
maybe next decade, rather. Maybe next decade. This decade was you being the reprehensible guy in the room. <laughs> next decade, you can kick it up. That's the worst thing. That was the worst thing about this decade. Do I always have to, you know, you're all thinking it. Why do I always have to be the guy to say it? That was the worst thing about the decade, is that I was always the guy who was willing to say the thing that you were all thinking, but no one wanted to say. I thought the tsunami was worse than that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Things that sucked in this decade. The tsunami, Hurricane yep. Katrina. Jiggly. <laughs> was that this decade or was that the last was that the last decade? No, J- Jiggly was this decade. Yeah. No, the can you believe it? Time flies when you're having fun. The uh the breakup of Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty tragic. Dude, do you guys remember the whole Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez thing? Because that's like the weirdest thing that ever happened ever, I think. I mean, not really, but like, I mean, obviously there are weirder things like like chameleons spontaneously changing gender and stuff. <laughs> but like, like in Jurassic Park. But like, but like, Jiggly was, like the whole Benefer thing, like, can you actually remember, like sort of conceive of a reality in which like the hottest couple in the world is Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez? Like, it just seems to me like that that reality does not exist anymore. Like we are cut off four dimensionally from any realm of existence in which such a thing were even remotely possible. Like it just, it is just the most mind bogglingly strange thing. And it was like the cover of people magazine, I think like 51 out of 52 weeks in the year. Uh, it, when, it, when in a row, when it came out, here's the um, thing, here's, here's the thing though, Pete, right? Like yeah. it's not that we have gotten better since then. You know, if, if anything, if anything, that was like a high point. That was like the zenith of the celebrity culture for the decade. And we have slid, you know, like what these these Lindsay Lohan covers make me wish for the days. I am nostalgic for the days of, of Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. You, you know what I mean? When I see, uh you know, pictures of Lindsay Lohan looking emaciated and coked out of her mind. Like I, 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 I wish for that. Like I wish for, I don't know, the, a, a return to the glory days of the past, <laughs> you know, the uh, American. Well, you know, Empire. this is a decade retrospective podcast. So yeah. if you want to relive those days, like now's the time. I guess so. You know well, Walken let me, let me finish before we, before we, uh, hold that thought, Pete, do you remember but, what you were about to say? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. I'm just going to say the uh, the best thing of the decade was boobs. Go, Pete! <laughs> oh, did you know that Christopher Walken and Al Pacino are both in Jiggly? That's crazy. No. You're kidding. That's crazy. Academy no, they are both in it. Yeah. Academy Award winner. The astonishing thing, the astonishing thing to me about Jiggly is that Ben Affleck's career has actually recovered. Yeah, it took a long time, didn't it? But within the decade, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought like he was going to be down for a solid 20 years. <laughs> so the answer is the best thing of the decade and the worst thing of the decade is Ben Affleck, is really what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh... <laughs> He's that's had good. quite a roller coaster. Ride. All right, Mark, yeah, was, you, said, yeah. you, had, you said you had a way to kick off the discussion of the decade. You, you put your money where your mouth is. Kick it off. <laughs> I'm sorry, I put my... Dollar bills and coins, you know, into my mouth because you said, and that prevented me. Oh, 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 I killed me. Wow. Oh, I'm, I'm getting on all my, my stupid Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> the end of the decade, I had to get that joke oh, out there. The I was Muppets. saying that out. Um, they happened. Yes. <laughs> all right. So this is how I want to, this is how I wanted us to, to kind of look back at this decade is let's think about, you know, each decade. Um, I would say roughly since the post-war period. By war, I mean World War II, um, not, you know, um, Trojan, for example. Um, since the post-war period, all the American decades, we have sort of a, 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 a pop culture. We can distill pop culture down into like maybe just a few images which really stick out in our mind. Let me give you some examples. The 60s, right? We got hippies, Woodstock, you know, that pretty much, you know, tells Wet you. Side story, yeah. Wait, no, sorry. No, no, I'm trying to distill, distill. You're <laughs> the opposite of distillation, which sorry, is, sorry, sorry. Um, there's a word for that, I'm sure. But um, 70s, right? Disco, Saturday Night Fever, that sort of aesthetic. 80s, I mean, we're, we could start to get fragments a little bit here, but of course, I would go to the sort of LA glam rock poison Van Halen aesthetic with the big hair. 
and the, and I think big hair actually probably sums it up pretty pretty quick pretty easily. Um, when I get to the nineties, day glow, I, I, slap what? bracelets, slap bracelets. There you go. Now when it gets it gets a little bit trickier in the nineties, and definitely also for the decade which just is now ending. So I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about kind of if you had to sum up the pop culture aesthetic of the decade, um, particularly the aughties, I guess is that we're calling it, the but 90s, also the nineties grunge rock, Nirvana, grunge rock. baby. There you go. You know, Nirvana I like was to think awesome. Ace, Ace, uh, <laughs> sorry. So, Mark, is what your point is? You're trying to figure out what the what the sort of like I love the aughts. I love them huh. thing is going to be like the sort of yes sort of there like, you go that's that's a good way to put it what I love the Audis what's like that the, feel like yeah like the flock of seagulls of our of our decade what is it going to be <laughs> I would say that if you if you have the whole sort of cultural capital that you need to amass to really understand Kanye West jumping on stage to interrupt <laughs> Taylor Swift <laughs> you would have a pretty good picture of our decade in pop culture. <laughs> That's true. This Kanye West has sort of uh, come across as as the uh, the sort of avenging angel of preceding time, right? To sort of remind us <laughs> of, of what things we are not realizing as like no. as experience passes us by. You know, in all seriousness, Kanye West, I think, actually is a pretty good way, an iconic representation of the decade because he's got hip hop and also some of the hipster aesthetic too, with those awful shades that he wears. <laughs> well, he's also a uh, sort of middle class African American, and this was a pretty good decade for middle class African American. I mean, he's not middle class anymore, but he was he raised he was raised in like a middle class environment, right? Um, and this has been a pretty good decade for those sorts of folks, as from what yeah, I understand. Yeah. I heard some decent things happen to him. I'm probably wrong. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's probably just you know my euphoria from uh, not living in my parents' house just sort of <laughs> making me too happy to realize that that's not the case. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, the, the, I hear these things, and I always I wanted to do, I wanted to do a series one of these days of like the real decade, like do a, a series on like the real eighties, like what people actually listen to in the eighties, like what people actually listen to in the seventies. As a because I, I remember one moment that really stuck with me, and I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, is when my um, high school history teacher, who was only maybe like seven years older than we were, um, said to me like, "Guys, guys, like." Nobody watched Sixteen Candles in the theater, <laughs> you know. Like, like this is not um, this was not actually what people were paying attention to at the time. Mm. Um, like a good example of this is if you look through the the uh, uh, and sort of remember like what people were really doing and what they weren't doing. Like most of the Star Trek movies were among the top ten grossing films of their year, which is like a kind of crazy thing to think about. It's like that doesn't really match up with my idea of snap bracelets happening, you know. Like, like. Um, I, I, the big example I came across recently is Lionel Richie, of course, sells 100 million albums, doesn't end up in the retrospectives for any decade, right, of, of being any sort of major figure anywhere, despite, the, you know, despite um, going into the eight figures in terms of like, his number of, uh, of records sold. And if you watch those uh, retrospectives on Time Life about like, the sort of smooth romantic sounds of the 70s, um, and you don't recognize any of those people. Right, and it's all these sort of like very cut, cookie cutter ballads that were very popular, and you look them up, and you're like, oh, that was a number one hit. Okay, you know, um, you know, I think that, uh, like, I think who is it? Who is it? Did, was that on a podcast recently where somebody brought up uh, Paul Simon's opinion about the Rolling Stones? Was that you, rather, or no? Was that on this I, must have, yeah, I don't think it was this podcast. Oh, okay. Unless somebody it was the had podcast that you guys have been doing without me. Uh, no, I mean, it, somebody was talking about. Um, Compare, he was comparing like the longevity of Simon and Garfunkel to the Rolling Stones. And some journalist was like, well, you know, they sold X number of albums, like you sold X number of albums. Like, like quite frankly, like I always thought that Simon and Garfunkel were bigger than the Rolling Stones. Um, you know, they sold out more concerts. They, we would not think of it that way, right? Like we would not think of Simon and Garfunkel being a bigger deal than the Rolling Stones were, but his, the context of history and the things that jump out at us that give us hooks on which to hang the narratives of the decades get a disproportionate influence in our memories of what happened. Um, so, like, for me, there's this sort of giant nebulous cloud hovering over the 90s um, 
I mean, it's all clouds are nebulous. That's a bad word. But um, there's this sort of <laughs> giant, um, this giant like halo that that blanks out a whole portion of the '90s, and it's called Hootie and the Blowfish, as it's this like enormous thing that like nobody could wrap their heads around, and like like twisted all of human existence around it, as if it were one of those uh, was it like Tavaren from the Wheel of Time series. Uh, but no, it was just a band with with they wore the checkered shirts and they sang them rock and roll music. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think was? I mean, I'll say if you want to talk about the like the cultural odds people are going to talk about 9 11 they're going to talk about bush they're going to talk about like red state blue state stuff probably i'm guessing i don't know maybe not i guess that's yeah, the, the, the what um, the kind of increasing polarization of our our political climate yeah i mean i don't know i mean i guess the music this is kind of a, this has been a bad decade for for popular music right i guess the first half of the decade was fine. well for white popular but, music no, no, I mean for sales. I, I mean for like the sort of uh, the actual industry of. Oh yeah, I mean, a, you know, Napster killed the music industry. Was Napster in this decade, or was Napster just the tail end of the previous decade? Uh, it was a, it was starting up in like the nineteen ninety nine two thousand era because I know that people were getting it just when I came to college, and that was in uh, in nineteen ninety nine. But this so, is, I mean, was, you know, musically, as far as pop music, as far as you know, what the the white suburban teenagers are listening to, or you know, I don't know what the corporations are putting out there or something like this is the decade that started with Britney Spears and ended with Miley Cyrus. I mean, it ended with Taylor Swift, who came after Miley Cyrus, right? I guess so. Um, I, yeah, I would yeah, say that Taylor yeah. Swift is definitely bigger than Miley Cyrus at this point. And I would say a substantial step up musically. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I, well, I don't know, Jordan. Like, really, do you think that? Like, by what, by what measure? Because Uh-oh. Are we, I, have, we have another rather Taylor Swift rant coming well, here? I, <laughs> no, no, no. Because no, I, no, think, no, no, I think the rest of us are going to rise up to can, defend you our can fair make it, You see, I could, I could actually make this case either way, right? That, that Taylor Swift represents a substantial step forward over Miley Cyrus um, because if only because she writes her own songs. Right. Like right. And that that's something that I got called out for in the comments by Gab and like Gab was right. Like that's you know, we should we should at least give the girl props for that, that she's not like going to the Swedish hit factory like uh, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera were. And she's not um, uh, the, what and she's not uh, doing what uh, essentially the same thing, the Disney factory, the way the way uh, Miley Cyrus is doing it. On the other hand, a lot of that that pop music, that you know, Swedish pop music, is very sophisticated and witty, uh, and and musically complex, right? Like it's something other than a kind of rhythmic chant, a repetitive rhythmic chant, which is what I think like a lot of Taylor Swift songs are. Say what you will about know. say what you will about about. Uh, um, hit me baby <laughs> about the tenets of Max Martin, at least it's an ethos. Is actually going for it. <laughs> say, say what you will about like uh, uh, hit me baby one more time, but at least it has a melody, you know. And that's not hmm. something that you can say about a lot of a lot of Taylor Swift music. Or actually, you say that Taylor Swift is a hip hop artist. A lot of not reflect. <laughs> well, no, and this is why this is why I keep melody? like this is why I keep. Uh, uh, emphasizing that it's white white pop music because hip hop like there was a lot of interesting hip hop you know. Oh, I would also so say. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I would also say that uh, we are all right at the age where we start to lose touch. Where no, not where. Hang on, let me be fair. Where historically generations have lost touch with the current popular fair music enough. and started to say that it's all garbage. I am. I am. Like, I am like an old guy going on about these kids today and their Taylor Swifts. And also, for me, I'm not. I'm not saying that Taylor Swift is better because she writes her own music. I was applying the purely hedonistic filter of I've listened to Taylor Swift and I've listened to Miley Cyrus, and I would prefer to listen to Taylor Swift. Uh, if you if you put Britney Spears into the mix, I would have to think about it a little bit harder. I haven't done that test. Or but. Christina Aguilera, who for me, like she was at least you know talented. She was not totally manufactured, right? Like that. That she went on to do some interesting things. She could mm-hmm. sing. You know, and that's something that that Britney Spears, I I think, actually, really was not all that great a singer. And Miley Cyrus is is actually, I think, really not that that great a singer. Uh, uh, what you know, when it comes right, 
right down to it. T- Taylor Swift actually is another one. She's got a set of pipes on her, you know, and she can she can sing. Uh, and and I mean, I guess I should lay off Taylor Swift because after all, she's you know twelve or whatever she is, nineteen, right? Like, and he, like she's written these songs now. She'll probably write better songs in the future. God knows she she shows no sign of of. Uh... So you know what? Uh, here's my New Year's resolution. I I I resolve to ease up on Taylor Swift a little bit, you know, that's, uh, cause I know that a lot of you were really concerned about my opinion of Taylor Swift. And so <laughs> I'm like, and, and I, who can blame you? Who it is all that you? I think of. <laughs> my, my opinions about a lot of things carry a lot of weight with a lot of people. I'm just saying, but, uh, but um, you know, I'm gonna ease up. I'm gonna ease up on Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, if you want to come on this podcast, uh, <laughs> you know, we will give you uh, mint Milanos because we. She w- won't want the. Those are for the Wu Tang. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 we, we gave the Wu Tang Clan ten years. It's a new decade. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's time to move on, you know. I don't know. I feel like I feel like she's the cheer captain, and a lot of sense we are collectively on the bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think one thing that's, that I guess, if to sort of get to a, a, something I could at least pretend that I know what I'm talking about. Um, well, one thing to note is that you know Britney Spears comes in with into the decade. Now, of course, Baby One More Time is the end of the previous decade. So when you're talking about Britney Spears starting off the decade, you're really talking about Oops, I Did It Again, right? Right. Yeah. Because, um, and, yeah. Because her yeah. first her first album was '99. So yeah, Oops, I Did It Again is, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Oops, I Did It Again sold like a little bit more than 10 million. Uh, copies and um, and Taylor Swift's second album, Fearless, has sold a little bit more than five million. Right uh, now, Baby One More Time has sold like ridiculously, ridiculously uh, uh, absurd numbers of albums. Uh, it's like one of the highest selling albums um, uh, around. And I'm looking for numbers. Excuse me, on Wikipedia right now, but it's from the previous decade, so we don't even have to worry about that. Right. But I think it's interesting to note, and it's also it's not. I feel like people say, "Oh well, Taylor Swift, you know, blah blah blah." Like hip hop music is really what's popular. Most of what's on the pop radio when you listen to it is hip hop music. But Taylor Swift was the highest selling artist of, uh, of like the last couple of years, I think. Like like legitimately, like like albums are just not topping that ten million dollar. Uh, the 10 million sales mark that much anymore at least not domestic um so so the well, stars right, are small, i mean but- we we were talking about the the general craptacular state of the the corporate music industry you know right like well, I, you yeah. know that's that's napster right like the internet ate their lunch and that you know that that's an interesting that's an interesting uh thing that happened this decade and it's starting to happen in video also um, yeah. That like we got it. We got to jump on it, I guess, in this decade, and then and then we saw it happen in video. And I think that the next decade, you know, as far as like, uh, as far as entertainment, the entertainment business is concerned, is going to be the story of these these disruptions sort of playing out, right? Right. And like like figuring out figuring out how it's going to work for the next. Um, you know, for the, the, the next period of time. Like I was about to ask that 5 million figure, you know, is that just, it, that can't be the sales of physical media that has to include downloads of the whole album. Right. But people don't tend to consume whole albums in quite the way that they used to. So what about, you know, what about individual songs? Like I'll bet if uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some metric that said there were more individual Taylor Swift tracks out there in the world than there were individual Britney Spears tracks on the records or singles or whatever 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, I think that um, uh, that is physical media. Um, there's the download numbers are different. Oh yeah. Um, Cause these kids, these kids today in their iTunes is like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe not, maybe it is sales. I don't know. I need, I'm, I've never been one really great for this sound scan stuff. I mean, I try my best to keep up with it, but, um, the whole and the whole issue of like grosses, like the way that they manipulated the numbers for Avatar to like force it to be the number one, you know, number one movie to open this weekend in December ever. You know that whole thing about well, it's under I Am Legend, it's over I Am Legend. It's so important for these guys to 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 
pump, bump their numbers above certain thresholds. And um, you, you never know when the number is being doctored. I guess we're part of the problem rather than part of the solution because we're looking for some sort of metric to use to measure the relative success of these things, the relative influence of them. And that seems like a decent one. I guess it would be better if you could just look at the show she played or the. the this it's, is something. It's hard to this is, well, the, right. And like, uh, you know, moving on to movies, like, this is something that Belinky and I get into. Uh, get into it about because like you know he he follows the like the stats you know the box office stats and mm-hmm. and for me it's like those those numbers really the the fact that that those numbers become the story like really annoys me you know mm-hmm. and that like uh that um because they're they're like you have to understand them in a context of you know of large of a larger business picture that i think is not even totally clear to the people who run those businesses yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, because no one knows what the hell is going on with, right? Like, you know, the internet is going to eat the uh, the movie industry's lunch, and yet, you know, the movie industry had its first, de- and by movie industry, I mean theatrical motion picture, uh, re- you know, theatrical release of movies, uh, had its first $10 billion year, right, this year. Mm, yep, uh, yep. Yeah, it's the biggest Christmas weekend ever. You keep seeing these these uh, these record things that that are that are saying you know more, people are spending more dollars on movies now. Okay, like our dollars are not worth what once they were, I guess. But um, so I guess the general trend will be t- towards uh, right. Like I wonder what the biggest uh, I wonder what the biggest year is in inflation adjusted dollars, but. Right, like, and and how you know, I don't know the the well, movie movie ticket prices are higher independently of like the actual inflation of the currency. In in real dollars, movie um, ticket I mean, prices are higher. I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, they're certainly higher than they were ten years ago. I don't think that the dollar has lost has a dollar. I mean, you have to talk about inflation versus exchange rate and different measures of that sort of thing. But certainly, I don't think consumer inflation has like halved in the past, like. Has, it really, has the value of the dollar fallen by half in like no, the past I, like ten I, years? Sure, you no, know, like, surely, surely not. But the maybe, um, yeah, but but movie, maybe. but movie. I I paid. God, I paid. I like, paid fifteen dollars for my Avatar ticket. You know, and I mean those value adds. People like to exclude that sort of thing from inflationary calculations. This yeah, idea, me like, too. well, you're getting a nicer computer, but it's it's still out there. You know, it's still part of the way that people are spending their money. So um, I mean, well, fifty dollars like a nicer computer actually costs less. You know, than in t- yeah. ten years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. it's much less, Fair enough. and it costs less in as far as an as a number and as far as an absolutely like a you know inflation adjusted amount, right? Like uh, mm. I don't know, mm. computers are computers are cheaper. Yeah, you know, and I paid sixteen bucks, I guess, because I I paid the extra buck to reserve it online beforehand. Yeah, which now, is I guess a another clock. Yeah. like that's that whole bit like that's a you know i don't know never mind that that a dollar really really movie tickets.com a dollar to reserve a ticket online like that's you know that's what 10 percent. that's yeah like credit card rates anyway okay now, if you're talking about grosses for box office maybe the big thing to keep in mind for this decade is that this was really the decade where global movie audiences really started to matter um, prior to this, they, they didn't necessarily matter all that much. But if you look at the grosses of the all-time domestic versus all-time global box office takes, right? Um, you see that the lists are very different. And you'll see that there are a lot of newer movies that are bumped up closer to the top of the... Uh, of course, Titanic is at the top of both, and you can sort of discount that. But, um, I mean, I'm looking at the global grosses right now, and the top ten, it's like... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the top ten are from the past decade. Um, and of the next ten, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, like, you know, 17 of the top 20 global grossing movies of all time were this decade. And the number is closer to half for domestic. Um, you know, Dark Knight made half its money in the box office overseas. That's huge. And I think yeah, that. And unheard of before yeah. this decade. Yeah, and and when you look at the movies that did really well, like the Lord of the Rings movies, there's definitely been a shift, and even even Avatar is an example of this, a shift away from movies that rely really heavily on the English language for their aesthetic value. Hmm. Um, you know, movies and that, towards Elvish. <laughs> exactly. You make up a language, and it's the same for everybody. But yeah, there's, there's been no. You mean towards had- towards towards high production values and action set pieces, and and towards things that communicate no matter what language you speak. 
Yeah, like, well, I'm, I'm talking about shorter scenes, less dialogue, right? Like, um, you know, sequences that are more visual and, and, and sort of uh, and less, like, lyricism, you know, in, yeah. in a, in a and broader a lot, sense. And that, that, like, that niche has moved to television. Right, and we have shows now like Mad Men and things like this, which have that's you know, interesting. Yeah, I mean, is that really what has happened? Is is one of the reasons why we're seeing much better writing on television because like the the movies are shifting to a to to try to aspire to this language neutral aesthetic value? Yeah, well, um, yeah, this kind of global, you know, the, yeah, this kind of globally marketable thing. I mean, and that's why you know that's why you see big studio tentpoles from you know, highly celebrated properties like comic book properties and things like this and, uh, and things like things like Harry Potter and, and whatnot, right? Like that, um, a lot of remakes, a lot of, uh, adaptations, a lot of sequels, um, that this is the way the features business is going, you know? And like, you know, name it. And, and even the prestige movies are, you know, I don't know, nine, right? Like, which is a, a big production like Chicago was. Uh, or I don't know. They're they're sort of escaping me now. But like, uh, right? Like, where's the? You know, we we talked about like in the '90s the indie indie move, movies. Where are the where are the indie movies? You know, where are the kind of do it yourself. Oh, they're out there. Or they're, yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, but they're not we, coming we have the to arc this decade too. They're not coming to what? prominence. I think in in exactly the same in exactly the same way. Like the one. In exactly the same way that they did ten years ago. I mean, I I think that there's a difference. Like, yeah, they're out there, and I, you know, I I go to see them. Uh, the Jeff Bridges thing, you know, uh, uh, he's a country singer. Oh God, why can't I remember the title? Oh, Whatever. Tron, uh, Tron Legacy is what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> that's next decade. That's the thing that's kicking off the next decade. Crazy way, Hearts or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- yeah. Music from T Bone well, Burnett. You yeah. know. Like, Can we go back to what we were talking about before about this decline in writing, quality of writing? I don't want to talk about being shot in the nuts with a paintball anymore. It was painful enough. <laughs> 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 no, was, oh, that, oh, Pete, was that number oh, one on the top ten, <laughs> top ten traumas for pizza nuts? <laughs> um, oh, there, if there's number one, it's, mean, not, it's, implies, not, Mark, it's I, not a quality. It's not an issue of quality because who's to say that the, you know, the language of film shouldn't be a, a more kinetic language or, a, you know, a more visual language, though, though the writing in Avatar was pretty bad. Right. And that's a, quick, a quick aside on that. I, uh, the, one of the things that came out of seeing it uh, last week was that it is both sad and telling that the most quotable line from that movie is, I see you. <laughs> right. <laughs> But anyway, um, what I, I think what, what we're yes so okay I buy that that maybe you know mo- a movement towards a, towards a more aesthetic a different as you know quality aesthetic judgment of film may not necessarily be a bad thing. However, I, I want to throw this out here in that I think people have complained been complaining for a long time that movies have become more about visual spectacle and less about quality writing and storytelling. Um, for some time, basically since what? Since Star Wars, right? Yeah. Well, I want to be clear. I'm not necessarily saying that, that the, the quality of the storytelling or that the writing is bad. But what I'm saying is that the words are being diminished, which is a very, very different thing. Because you can write really, really good dialogue that is, like, very short, right? And it has, has, is, you know, easily translatable. And then you can write very, very good dialogue that is longer and is very hard to translate. Um, I mean, so, you know, you, you look at a uh, – look at – Wally, for an example of a movie that is an excellent story, excellently told, has, you know, very, very easy to translate that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of <laughs> it point, the part- is designed to appeal to children. Um, I mean, obviously, oh, that's Pixar- yeah, you're just you're just true Scotsmaning in that there. I mean, you know, <laughs> what do you mean it's designed to appeal? I mean, it's also designed for adults, right? Right. Okay. All those, it, yeah, it, all those Pixar movies are, are kind of all ages kind of movies. Yes. Okay. So that's what I meant to say, right? Is that they're all ages movies, um, but in particular, they are going for a, a, a appeal for children in a way that something like The Dark Knight should not be, is not, and should not be. No true to- Scotsman would awaken the child within. 
Hey, you know what was a great movie this decade? You know what was a great movie this decade? What? The Triplets of Belleville. The Triplets of Belleville was a great movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. And that's another great mo- example of a movie where, like, I don't watch a great many French films. Um, I mean, if you want to look at it from the other perspective, I don't watch a lot of French cinema. One of the main reasons why I don't watch a lot of French cinema is that it's in French. I don't speak French. So I have a DVD of Bryce Denise, if anybody uh, knows that uh, comedy. My sister got that for me. But other than that, Triplets of Belleville is one of the only French movies I've watched from the past decade. I watch um, a lot of French movies, but I'm highly pretentious. <laughs> well, do you know, I'm, do you I'm, know only, I'm only pretending to watch the French movies. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, Triplets of Belleville is, is a very well-put-together movie, but almost all of the talking is in gibberish, um, which makes but, it much easier for me to follow without losing anything and the aesthetic value of it. But right? I think that it's uh, – to say that that's something that's a new trend is, um, is questionable because Triplets of Belleville is a loving homage to Jacques Tati, who did all of his filmmaking, you know, before the 80s. I guess he died in the early 80s. And those are a right. bunch of French movies with no dialogue as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I've, I've been listening to all this, and I think you guys are making a great point, but I just, I, I totally don't buy it because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of counterexamples and saying like, did there will be, there will be blood, and not have vigorous dialogue that would be difficult to translate effectively. Well, I just, uh, hold on, like. Uh... Uh, the first forty-five minutes that there will be blood is practically a silent movie. But uh, again, I think I think I, I think we're mostly talking about um, top like movies. marketing, right? Like how you you start to marketing the movie, right? Um, well, no. So. No, we're not. I, 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 I disagree with that. You can, if, you, if we're talking about marketing, fine, but I don't particularly find that an interesting conversation. I mean, the, yes, trailers get edited more to death and they give away more of the plot and have more explosions in them. Oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, like, that people are, are striving to sell movies to a global audience by doing this. You could say, I mean, again, here, me, like, true Scott's being it myself, but you could say that they weren't aspiring to sell their Will Be Blood to a global audience. Um, Right or, or, do, or is it a good example of a movie that's showing what's happening commercially in the industry, or, or is that more of the indie style movie that rather said didn't exist this decade? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that that's, that limiting yourself entirely to what's going on in the industry does not give you a good idea of what's actually going on in movies this decade. That's you know that's noteworthy or important. Mm. Now, when you're talking about movies, you're talking more about the sort of art and craft in general as a sort of artistic discipline and not as much about the sort of business and the priorities of the studios? I'm talking about the movies that have come, pa- come out in the past 10 years. If we look at them as a whole, what patterns can we derive from them? Mm. And, and you don't think that there's been an effort, uh, especially with sort of big budget movies, to make shorter scenes with less dialogue? I mean, oh, I don't know. If you're limiting yourself entirely to action movies, then maybe. But there are also a lot of older action movies that have very short scenes with very little dialogue. True. I mean, all of all of those old George Lucas uh, Spielberg ones, right? Like, yeah. how many big dialogue scenes are there in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Mm. How hard is that to translate? It's a good question. Well, it, Raider, yeah, know. Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's an interesting example. That that that. Uh... Um, but like, let's take, uh, let's take, that's the number five grossing movie of, uh, and I think this is domestic grossing, but, um, yeah, it's gotta be domestic. It's not up there. Global, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the eighties. Um, that's number five. Number six is Ghostbusters, right? And when you look at Ghostbusters, which, you know, which I think we all did when we wrote Ghostbusters week, uh, <laughs> that was awesome this decade. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the best thing of the decade is? Overthinking it. Um, oh, you're so sweet to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go watch some French movies. No, you know yeah. what I'm watching? Yeah. Uh, pointless digression. I started watching David Duchovny in Californication. And mm-hmm. it's a funny little show. I, I, I was expecting to kind of roll my eyes at it, but I think it's, it's pretty funny. Does anyway, it help that there are boobies in that show? A <laughs> lot of boobs. Lot, uh, it, it, probably does, it probably doesn't hurt. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. But also, you know, there, there's some clever writing. Like it, it's, um, <laughs> there, like really, it's very, it's very verbal. Uh, I'm sorry, Ghostbusters, right? And Ghostbusters moves at a glacial pace compared with uh, the action movies, the action comedies. Uh, of of this day, I you know actually I got for Christmas I got a um, like a Roku uh, uh, internet video player uh-huh. right that hooks up Very to your nice. Netflix account and streams the Netflix to your screen. So Sweet. I've been watching nonstop. I've been watching the whole first season of Californication on uh, on that, for example. And I watched been watching like three movies a night over you know my vacation. So I watched um, 
Bad Boys, right? The uh, one the other night, yeah. and that, Michael uh, Bay's first uh, first film, right? Sorry, which was Michael Bay's first film? Was it really? Bad Boys. Wiki, Wikipedia that while, while, uh, while music, I talk about it. Here's the thing about it. It's like the yeah. difference. There were a lot of years between Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. And the difference between those two movies in terms of, in terms of style, it was like, um, uh, I, I don't know. It was, it was like, what's a facile comparison I can reach for? Night and Day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which by the way bad boys yes his first feature film 1995 Uh, there you go astonishing but it's uh you know they like sit there and talk they hold the camera on them and they talk forever they banter with the girl you know it's not characters motives are sometimes not not totally clear like something will be ambiguous and not really have sharp edges right like it uh, Ghostbusters the same way they there'll be one shot with you know five or six lines in it you know before they cut away like it this kind of um, I don't know what to call it the MTV style you know the Michael Bay style what it, as somewhat become the known be known yeah you know uh, okay so like that's uh, well the Michael Bay style yeah I guess I I connected with the MTV like. Um, well, Michael Bay comes out of music videos, so they are kind of similar. Yeah, fair enough. Right, yeah. so you have that, you know, yeah, you have two Star Wars movies in the top ten for the 80s, but you have uh, Ghostbusters, you know, Back to the Future. Um, I don't know. Okay, so then moving on to the 90s, uh, Titanic. Obviously, I mean, Titanic is is sui generis, but uh, uh, Star Wars Episode One, um, Jurassic Park... Independence Day, The Lion King, Forrest Gump, The Sixth Sense, uh, The Lost World, <laughs> Men in Black, and Armageddon. Like, already, there's sort of a different... Uh, where's the action comedy, you know? A Men in Black, I hmm. guess. Armageddon is a... Is a is, nah, not really. No, it's... Well, uh, it kind of turned out to be. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? By the way, I, I was looking up various movies from the decade, and did anybody know that in 2009, Yuva Bull made a movie starring Edward Furlong and Billy Zane called Darfur? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like, Yuva Bull is the director, um, of course, who threatened, who, who, not threatened, challenged Michael Bay to a pay-per-view boxing match that Michael Bay has turned down, um, and, and directed such hits as Postal and and uh, uh, House of the Dead, which are often seen as some of the worst films of the decade. Um, I think it would be safe to say that Yuva Bull was probably the worst director of the decade. Well, not not maybe not entirely fair compared to like me, like taking shots <laughs> video at random. But uh, but of professional directors in terms of being an active criminal against his craft, and he would he would curse me out for that and punch me for do for saying such a thing because he he used to do that sort of thing. Let me um. So, and I, I want to cash this out a little bit and, and do the oh. 2000s, right? Oh, so, yeah, go for it. Go for high, it. Highest grossing movies, right? Uh, yeah. Return of the King, Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean, uh, Dead Man's Chest is number two. That's mm-hmm. what? That was the second one in the, in the future, yeah. right? Uh, the Dark Knight, uh, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean at World's End, Harry Potter mm-hmm. and the Order of Phoenix, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince... Uh, oh, and these. Oh, this is worldwide gross. I want domestic gross. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where to get that. But right, like, but but this actually may make my point. Or the, and this is your point too. Uh, Half Blood Prince, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Shrek Two, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, uh, Spider Man Three, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Lord of the Rings, Finding Nemo, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen, Spider-Man, Shrek the Third, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, this and, was really the Harry Potter decade, yeah, wasn't it? And Harry, 20, yeah, and 21 is uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's interesting, Pete. I wonder if Harry Potter is going to be the thing that no one is talking about in 20 years when they look back on the aughts, right, with nostalgia. And then <laughs> people are like, ah. I was oh sorry go ahead Jordan. When you look at that uh, that list of movies that you gave, it doesn't seem that in the aughts you're getting flashier movies or movies that are more about spectacle than than say Men in Black was. What really jumps out at you is that they're all franchises, yeah. right? Mm. That like yeah, this, is, this is the decade Lord of the Rings, where Dark Knight, yeah. yeah, 
and, and then all those Harry Potters, one after another. So th- yeah. this is the decade where they figured out that people want movies that, that they've already seen, I guess. <laughs> right. Which is present, in, but not quite as dominant in the previous years. And they invest more in them, and they, yeah. and they really dedicate more resources to these franchises to in a huge degree. You know, huge. I mean, Star Trek Three is a pretty cheap movie compared to, like, Harry Potter Three. Um, and, yeah. and like, I mean, it used to be you would think a sequel. No, I mean, it's almost like not even true anymore. Yeah, but Pete, when, that's, but, that's like the, the, uh, the. I'll bet the cost of uh, making a movie, the average movie, has just gone up because CGI is so expensive. And you know, it's not. It's not even necessarily that because if you look at. Uh, within subgenres, I mean, I happen to know that if you're just looking at horror movies, basically all of the money, 100% of the money, if you're taking a broad statistical lens that was made by horror movies in the past decade, was made by the Saw franchise. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like, I mean, it's not like they uh, they spent a lot of money on those sequels. They're very, very cheap to make. And they don't even really promote them that much, right? They, they get some very nice posters, and then they have their tagline, which is, if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. Saying, like, you know that you're going to go see this if you're the kind of person that was going to go see this. And we've got your money, basically. Yeah. It's just the formality of signing it over. So I, I, don't, I don't really know quite what to make of it, honestly. Well, these are, these are like, isn't it true, just to Pete's point before, isn't it true that, um, you know, these are movies that don't, that don't rely on, on talkie. These are movies that, like, whether they're translated or not... It's not the verbal artistry. In fact, like the verbal artistry is probably highest in the Harry Potter movies, uh, right? Hmm. Like those those are probably the ones that like you know just because they're so freaking English, right? That like uh, <laughs> you know that translate the least well, um, and like even that, you know, you watch the the magic wands and the the I don't know things flying around the air, right? And you've enjoyed your Harry Potter movie. Let me let me let me pitch you guys a different a, a thought on this stuff. Does does do people remember when it used to be a fairly solidly held piece of conventional wisdom that if a movie sequel was going to come out, it was going to be a lot worse than the original movie? Like I feel like that was once something that just was taken for granted, and I feel like it's not believed as much anymore. Like I don't think I don't think you think oh they're coming out with Spider Man two, it's going to be awful. Right, the way that you would think, like, oh man, like they're coming out with RoboCop two, like it's going to be awful. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't like, know. I, re- I, I still maybe. feel that way. I still feel yeah, that you- way. I, I remember I was really psyched to see The Dark Knight, and I was so shocked with myself for being being excited about a sequel. But but right, then again, right. you know, I'm I'm not uh, speaking for the movie going public at large. Well, that might be something people could include in the comments. Like, do you guys get excited about sequels? Um, like, is a sequel something that you're actually attracted to, or is it more like sort of a lower risk proposition from the studio? Like, is there some sort of downside to making a sequel that they've just determined is not as big of a downside um, as the sort of uh, risk of launching an unproven property? Right? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And how come uh, the Tarzan movies they didn't do so good with the? They, that's the old, one of the <laughs> oldest franchises in films. They made like a bazillion of those. Uh, I think it's the only franchise that ran longer than. Yeah, Bond, and I got right? like I, you know, like the series <laughs> I'm the, mo- the, the series Sorry. that I'm the most familiar with is the Police Academy series. <laughs> of course. Oh boy! <laughs> really? I, that's that's really the series of movies you're most familiar with, like Mission to Moscow, and like well, off, like was this, it like this is what uh, I was going to say. But like each each of the like from 1984's Police Academy to 1985's Police Academy Two, their first assignment. You know, all you're still walking in pretty light. You're walking the light right now. You're adventuring into the shadows of that series. Just all the way through is Police Academy Four: Citizens on Patrol. Right? right, like I think that that the the quality of those sequels actually improved uh, each each on the previous one. It wasn't until Police Academy Six, City Under Siege, or no, uh, Five, Assignment Miami Beach, when Assignment the, Beach, yes. the, the thing started to take a nosedive, and um, and uh, when the when the series took uh, took off uh, to five years and came back in 1994 with uh, uh, Mission to Moscow. You know, it was uh, Police Academy 7, Mission to Moscow. You know, that's, that's when the thing had totally jumped the shark, no doubt. Mm. Well, I mean, when did Steve Gutenberg leave? Was he You're awfully to... familiar with this. You're more familiar with this series than any other series of movies ever. When did Steve Gutenberg stop being in Police Academy? You know, I think, I think the Police Academy is the, is the star of the Police <laughs> Academy movies. <laughs> 
I think that all this is this is uh, we're, we're we're arriving at a consensus here. I think, which is oh, that we okay. that we need to reboot the Police Academy series, <laughs> make it make it darker and grittier. Call it Police Academy Begins. And, uh, <laughs> I would be I would pre-order a ticket three months in advance. <laughs> but that's that you know, a- haven't we done that in a way? Like actually. What do I say about in a way, rather? What do I say about in a way? <laughs> I say in a way means everything that I just said or I'm about to say is false. That's what in a way means. Uh, anyway, continue. I still don't see – okay, I'm going back to six and five. I don't see um, Steve Gutenberg. I guess Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg as uh, Carrie Mahoney left the series after Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. Ah, that you know what? Clean. And it actually, yeah. it actually dovetails nicely with my argument about that being the last good Police Academy movie. Um, That's did, I think they did make Police Academy Begins. It just happens to be called The Shield. Right? Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was on FX and it was a it was a television show. I really think I, I mean I, I believe this that like the features business has gone the way of the X Men franchise, right? And and that um that if you want this kind of like interesting storytelling or character based storytelling, by and large you're gonna or or interesting writing, you know. Uh by and large the people who are doing that, um uh, are are going to be doing it on television at least right right at the moment you know but I've I've bored everyone before with with my you know whole second golden age of television thing so no need to can I, re- rehash can, that can I argue with you a little bit though because no! you're, you're pointing you're pointing at the uh, the cable shows at the at the wire at the shield at things like that mm-hmm. right um, but those are to TV as a whole still small fry, right? Like the, the networks is where stuff is really going on. So you need to be talking about two and a half men and survivor and American idol. Right? Well, the reality, or, I mean, reality TV, reality TV is the horror movie of television, right? It costs. Okay, oh, no, no, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to muddy. Talk about two and a half men. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about two and a half men, but you can also talk about 30 rock. You can talk about the office. You know, there, there are things happening on, uh, on the networks as well. But even 30 Rock in the Office, they're not aspiring to that kind of novelistic breadth and love of the, the English language that you're, uh, that you're hoping for, right? Like Arrested Development maybe did a little bit, and that went away very quickly. And uh, I mean, I, I think that if you're going to bring in The Shield and The Wire, then you need to start bringing There Will Be Blood back into the, back into the picture. And that movie Brick, did everyone see that? Like talk about a movie where dialogue is of paramount importance, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, it, it wasn't a mainstream tentpole production, but it did exist in movies in the last ten years, and I think it's it's doing it a disservice to not mention this thing. So uh, here's a here's a fun tr- trivia question: How many movies did Steve Gutenberg make this decade? <laughs> if you answered fifteen, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Really? How many? Yeah, 15. Now, let me ask you this. In how many of these movies did he voice a dog? Uh, (laughs) It looks like at least two, probably three or four. Uh, It's tough to say. He played, uh, he voiced Sebastian in Heidi 4, Pause, and he was in the movie The Gold Retrievers. Oh, wait, no, that's different. That's not The Golden Retrievers. I'm sorry. I thought he was in an Air Bud sequel. Um, <laughs> never mind. Hey, here's something, though, okay, that we can... Okay, wait, we can wait, wait, wait. Wait. Network, network television and, and shows with good storytelling, right? Like uh, uh, The Simpsons... Uh, Desperate Housewives. It's a soap, but it's it's a well made soap, right? Like Lost, mm-hmm. all those ABC shows. Uh, Lost, yeah, Lost. I'll give you. Although I, mean, I, I, I think Gossip Girl. You know, I also think uh, uh, I think Gossip Girl. I think The Vampire Diaries is actually turning into a pretty damn good television show. Uh, but I, uh, House... I, I want. Um, let me just interrupt you for a second. I, I, I want you to go on. But I want um, Shana, our, our Lost specialist, to come on and tell us uh, in the comments how much is Lost really about dialogue, and how much of it is about other things. You know, um, and and I'll, okay, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you on House. House is not really about dialogue. I don't think. Wait no, I'm saying I'm saying that the wordy wordy people are are coming to television. That that if you want something clever or novel or witty, you're better off looking on television than than yeah. you are looking in in the uh, 
in movies. Glee, you know, this year. Uh, Modern Family is kind of interesting, uh, you know, on uh, on ABC, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Uh, okay. Glee, okay. You know, uh, the uh, wasn't there a TV show version of Friday Night Lights that was really good? I never watched it. Yeah, that actually, that show got, I never watched that show either, but that show got like, uh, so, you know, like, I think even on the network, right, This these shows are not, uh, I don't know, Night Court, you know what I mean? They're not like home improvement, you know? Why are you also, saying, like, Night Court is bad? Like, no, Night I love Night Court. Awesome. <laughs> I thought Night Court was awesome. But they're, they're very much not explosion-based, right? They're not they're not special effects vehicles. Yeah, a lot of them are about writing. Yeah, right. And like when you get a show that's like uh, Trauma on NBC, that like really is about this. Uh, it really is about the special effects, like there or CSI or something like that. You know, like it it's about that uh, high production value. You know, mm-hmm. that's um, that's unique on television. I, I was watching Trauma. Like uh, I watched a couple episodes just because I ran out of television during this, you know, long time off from school. And like, there is a lot of money on that screen. Like mm-hmm. uh, in Trauma, they stage these immense, you know, disaster areas. Anyway, um, hey, you know what show is still on TV at the beginning of this decade? What? Walker Texas Ranger. What? <laughs> <laughs> Walker Texas Ranger ran until two thousand and one. Um, according to the IMDb's, um, so which means that it, I feel like it more than anything else identifies sort of how far we've come. <laughs> I don't know. I should say bad things about Walker, Texas Ranger. And Jen, it, it identifies how far we've come. That an hour ago, I was watching the seconds tick by, thinking we will never ever make it through the podcast tonight. <laughs> oh, you little face! And that, and that we we have managed actually to 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 have a conversation that I think is really. Uh, interesting. At least I think it is. Do you think it is, listeners? If you do, here's what you should do. You should add to it. You should say something. Before the decade is over, make it your resolution to get into, uh, uh, to get your voice on one of our listener feedback episodes. How? You ask? How? Why? Email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com or call the voicemail at 20 eat log one That's 203-285-6401. One uh, and if if in the the uh, the meantime you want some overthinking, where can you get it? Why on the website? What website is that? You ask. It's www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. Three, two, one. Puff Daddy, get out of the blimp! No, I'm gonna stop doing that. <laughs>